0: principal podcast. My name is Rachel George and I'm an educational leader in Oregon and also an NAESP fellow.
1: And my name is Adam. Welcome. I'm an educator in California and a fellow with NAESP in the Innovation Center. Rachel, before we get started, I live in California, but it feels like I'm living in Oregon because we have so much rain. It's rained like 20 days straight in California. What's the weather been like up in your neck of the woods?
0: Well, that's a loaded question, because that would mean <laughs> that, A, I've been home a bunch, which I haven't been. And I've been traveling a ton for work and play. Uh, but, you know, looking out the window, we're actually recording live from the NAESP Zone 9 conference. And it's hosted this year in Eugene, Oregon, just in case you don't know where Eugene is. And I'm looking out because I'm at the top of the Graduate Hotel where we had the majority of our meetings and it's surrounding floor to ceiling windows and it is not raining in Eugene. They say like, if you've ever been to Autzen Stadium where the Ducks play, that it never rains in Autzen. And we're super lucky right now that it is not (laughs) raining. But I don't know, our guest actually took a walk today after we got done, we got done a little early. So we'll have to ask him if he stayed dry today.
1: Sounds good, sounds good.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, Adam and I are always just so super excited, super stoked to bring you all this episode of the NAESP Principal Podcast. So we can legit talk about real ideas with real people, like real people, not people that just write books and are up in like higher ed or think they know what they're talking about. And it's ultimately to help make your leadership stronger and more innovative. So have a treat today. It's one of our amazing attendees at our Zone 9 conference.
1: Yeah, we have Chris Jackson, who is in Oregon, but an elementary principal in Arizona. And uh, Chris, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, It's good to be here.
1: So, Chris's first podcast, but he told us he's been on the radio and on TV. So, uh, Chris is definitely ready to roll. Hey, man, quick background. Just give us a little background on kind of who you are. Uh, Maybe tell us about your school, how many students, and uh, maybe we'll start there.
2: Sure. Uh, I am an elementary school principal. I am the principal of Mountain View Elementary School in Rio Rico, Arizona, which is about 10 minutes from the Mexican border but it is outside of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we're part of the Santa Cruz Valley Unified School District. I have been principal there. I'm in my eighth year. I've been an administrator in the district for 11 years. Uh, I was a middle school principal prior to, to where I am now, and I was a high school assistant principal, interim principal, basketball coach, instructional coach, and I've actually taught preschool as well. So I've kind of done the whole K-12 scene and really enjoy the early years where you can you know, make a significant introductory I- impact.
1: Well, I wasn't expecting preschool teacher to be yeah. on that resume, Rachel, yeah. but it, it definitely, it definitely rounds it, rounds it out. I know before the show, you were telling us just your school is like 99% free and reduced, almost a hundred percent English learner, but you have like Correct. some of the best scores in the area and in the district and eight years is pretty good longevity for a principal at a school. I would say, you know, I was just somewhere. Um, and uh, they said the principal had been there for 35 years at the same school, which sounds Oh my gosh, that's a long, I'm like 30, that's a whole career. (laughs) Um, but yeah. So what, what are some tools and strategies or just things that y'all are doing down there to really, to really get this diverse population of students where they need to go, um, with instruction and just kind of, kind of the whole gamut. What, uh, what, what are you guys doing down there?
2: Well, I think, I think the, the biggest thing is that We have great people. And that sounds cliche, I know, but it really starts with our families and our students that are coming to us. Uh, Even though our families and our students have some significant economic challenges, uh, as well as language acquisition challenges, they have a ton of grit uh, and they have a ton of um, just inherently they bring with them the family spirit of pulling together, working together, uh, sharing making room for others, you know, things that we're trying to teach from a social emotional level. We come with a lot of cultural capital right out of the gate when when students start with us and are, and they're used to that. So much so that uh, we live outside of the district, but uh, we bring my own children into the district to go to school, uh, if for nothing else, the the cultural capital and the, the, the wonderful people. Um, now we also have wonderful people that work in our school. Um, you know, I've been there eight years. Uh, we, we've worked really hard to build a staff of people that remember that the main thing are the children um, and and learning. Uh, we don't have a lot of talking or professional development on figuring out what our why is. Our why is pretty darn clear. Um, so we're able to focus on the the learning piece of it at all. And I, And I say learning rather than teaching because we really try to stress that it's, it's the learner that we wanna focus on. You know, We don't teach, we help the learner. Um, obviously that involves teachers teaching, but uh, for someone outside of education, that may seem like semantics, but if we, if we use language like you know, learner-centered and um, even our lesson plans, we refer to them as learning plans because we wanna always remind ourselves that the focus is, is on the students. And um, when it comes to the instructional piece, uh, the learning piece you know we really look look at things from or through a, a couple of different lenses um, RTI is something that we implemented um, early on in my time there response to intervention using a tiered approach to uh, you know learning and relearning, whether that's enrichment or interventions, and most importantly creating the time necessary for teachers to work together, collaborate, and spend the time on their their planning and and their craft um, not just horizontally within their own grade level, but vertically with other grade levels, because what we do in kinder affects first, what we do in first affects second. Um, early on in looking at data and scores, it was evident to me that teachers were, were very conscious of what they were doing in their own grade level and they were feeling badly if they didn't get the score they wanted or the data that they wanted. And you know, I pointed out to them, well, you're not going to be able to accomplish this in three months time or six months time or nine months time. What's going on in fifth grade starts in kindergarten. So we've really taken approach at having our teachers work vertically um, and, and just trying to spend more time. Another thing that we're really doing a lot with is personalized learning. And personalized learning, I know as a term is somewhat new to people, but the way we're looking at it is looking at what are the students needs and how do they learn best. And for some students that may look very traditional, and that's okay. Um, You know, some students may need to be very directed, very uh, time oriented, very goal oriented, very deadline oriented. And then there are students that once they demonstrate mastery or or they get along that that bloom scale, right, in, in terms of application, they're able to uh, do things more creative and, and choose their own way of being assessed, showing competency. And as the teachers, as the staff, as the leadership, we have to identify which students are ready for, for what. Um, and I'll be honest with you, we're, we're not all the way there yet with everybody. But the fact that we're you know, dipping our, our toes and our knees into those waters helps us be more adaptable um, and malleable to students', <clears throat> students needs.
0: I love it. Thank you so much. There were some great gems in there um, that I think will really resonate with some of our listeners. Now I'm going to take us back to earlier in the day, Chris. You and I were having a conversation and you shared with the group during our NAESP Zone 9 conference that oftentimes when we're making decisions, we're not going to please everyone, right? And that we can sometimes get paralyzed by that fear and that pressure of people pleasing. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you go about making those decisions within your leadership practice? Because you you had a, a fancy Fantastic, almost mic drop perspective on it that I think a lot of folks could learn <laughs> from. So hopefully you remember that moment of brilliance that you had today. Oh my
2: gosh, you 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 built me up way too big right there, Rachel. Um, I I would say first of all, I don't I don't I don't believe I please everybody at all whatsoever. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. Um, but but uh, when it comes to to working with others, something that I I don't even know where I picked it up along the way, but I, I try to remember is think the way they think. If you take someone's situation and you try to uh, analyze it through your own lens, you're almost always certain not to to understand them. So you have to really look at where they're coming from, what they're doing, and how they think. And even if they're thinking, even if we think they're thinking incorrectly, you still have to think the way they think to try to to understand them. And then once you do that, in good faith, if you if you've consulted sources, if you've considered multiple stakeholders, and if you're always using your why, which should be the kids as your compass, um, it's okay not to please everybody. Uh, The surest way to unhappiness, I think, is trying to please everybody. Um, But what you have to do is try to do what's right. I think if we start focusing on what is right, rather than who are we pleasing? we may find ourselves standing alone at times and we may find ourselves standing in a crowd of others but either way if we're doing what is right uh and we vetted what is right through uh valuable i guess sources um if we don't let ourselves be information silos by ourselves and just um unilaterally make decisions or or think about things without Educating ourselves first, then we're probably not going to find what's right. But if we are doing those things, if we are um, having conversations like we, we are right now in this moment about important things, then we should be able to arrive at what's right. And then at that point, suggest, offer, and sometimes just decide if you're in the position and your responsibility as a principal is to make that decision. Um, I think it's okay. And I've gotten more comfortable over the years saying, hey, guys team. This is what I think we should do. These are the reasons why um, I'd like you to trust me on this and I'd like us to try it out. Uh, and and that's how I approach it. Um, I try to be very transparent and I try to explain my rationale to people so they understand where I'm coming from. And so they know how I'm thinking while I'm trying to understand how they're thinking.
1: Yeah, Chris, I would just call that a good old management decision. Sometimes you get um, you know, you get everybody's input and sometimes you just say, Hey, this is what we're going to do because I'm the person yeah. making this decision. And then you, and you go forward. So kind of like looking for like a quick response, like some highlighted strategies. I love that, how diverse your, your community is and all your parents. Uh, last year I was a substitute principal out of school for a month and we had 26 different languages at the school. And something wow. that I would talk about with, with the teachers and, you know, the community was how do you build relationships? relationships with, uh, you know, a community that's just that diverse, uh, not that it's that different, but there's different nuances, um, you know, in there. So what are your, some of your favorite ways to maybe build relationships with such a diverse set of parents in, uh, in your community?
2: Well, I think one of the easiest ways for me to build relationships and to break down the barrier of, you know, principle and the perceptions that go along with that is my own children attend my school. Uh, so I'm first and foremost a parent. And uh, I can say completely honestly from the heart, if I don't, it, you know, if I don't have every teacher on my staff as someone that I would put my own child in that classroom, then I'm not comfortable doing it with anyone else's child either. And I can honestly say that. And I can honestly say that we have a team on our staff where I'm happy with any teacher my, my child gets. Um, also, I get to, you know, at parent-teacher conferences, at school events. I'm there as a parent also. So I can laugh and cry and joke and, um, you know, be right next to, you know, my 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 own child's friends, parents, Um, you know, so that that, that's one way. And then, you know, with with teachers and staff, um, I think not just admitting, but acknowledging and just straight up asking for help when I need it and letting people know, Hey, I don't have the answer for everything. I don't know everything, but you know what? I think I've gotten pretty good at recognizing who does have the answer or who might have the answer. And that may be, you know, you know, Mrs. Patterson or, or Ms. Avila or Mr. Armijo or Ms. Rodriguez or any number of teachers that we have on staff, um, or, or support staff or, or, uh, Mr. Arvisu, who's our custodian, you know, you know, empowering them to really, Um, be a leader on campus because we rely on them. So I think those are two ways in which I'm able to
1: do that. Heck yeah, and the mark of a true leader is just doing those little shout outs to your teachers. And I love that you threw the custodian in there because uh, it's just, uh, it's so important. Uh, Chris Jackson, principal in Arizona. I sure hope that everybody listening along with you are gonna sign up for the NAESP conference, which is happening this summer in in, uh, Maryland, National Harbor, Maryland, July 10th to the 12th. Go to nesp.org. they've already announced the keynotes, Houston Craft, Joanne McEachin, and Freeman the III. Sorry, Freeman, if I messed up your last name. It's going to be awesome. Rachel's going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's always an amazing, amazing place to, uh, to meet some people. On behalf of Rachel, myself, all of the um, fellows at NASP, Chris, thanks again for your time, everybody listening. We truly hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.